Welcome everyone to another great episode of the Do Better Dev Show. I am here with your host, co-host, beloved Nathan. The other one. The other, another host. <laughs> <laughs> That's me. Yeah, how you Hi. doing? Oh, I'm, I'm doing pretty well. Uh, it, well, I think we're a week late, but that's fine. Because, uh, you know, we had to get healthy again. Yeah. It's hard to record, it turns out, when you can't breathe. It, it really is. And when your like, voice sounds terrible and you're constantly coughing and your throat hurts when you talk. Yeah, because I think last time we recorded, you were starting to get sick. Yes, that is correct. Yes, and then... I infected everyone. Yeah, yeah, 10, 10 of the following 14 days. <laughs> At least one of us was very out of commission. Mm-hmm. So uh, we're back now. Better, yeah. better late than ever. Don't call it a comeback. Been here for years. Wow. Almost, hey, almost to the point where you could listen to one episode of a week for a year. Yeah, episode 51. We've crossed 50. You know, people, people die by 50. Yeah, there's... We've accomplished a lot. What was it you've been saying? This is longer than most people's relationships? Exactly. Yeah. 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 <laughs> this podcast. Yeah. Two years. Two years. Well, it's covered two separate calendar years. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. And I, for one, have definitely gone through a breakup within that time frame. So <laughs> them's the facts. So based on our data, this is a long running show that's uh, committed more so than, than some other people. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Very cool. So before I start crying, has anything cool, frustrating, or <laughs> awesome happened to you this past week? Uh, well, I have some stuff that didn't necessarily happen to me, but is uh, fits those adjectives. Nice, okay. Yeah. So first thing, I don't know if it's cool or interesting, depends on who you are, I guess. But I listened to the Mr. Beast episode on Joe Rogan, and it was good. So I would have just skipped it, except that he had uh, Jimmy, Mr. Beast, had been on the mkbhd waveform podcast a few months ago and i listened to it and it was really good mm. whereas i'll skip a lot of joe rogan episodes i'm not just going to arbitrarily skip a waveform because they're way less frequent and they're not four hours long mm. uh, whereas this one because it was good i was like i'll listen to it and he just seems like a real likable guy mm-hmm. and uh very easy to listen to i enjoyed the episode so if if you want to listen to something easy to put on in the background or you were thinking about skipping it but you weren't sure or you just want to listen to a content creator talk about content stuff and something he really cares about, it's a good episode for that. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, I've, I've like maybe seen a couple of videos of Mr. Beast and yeah, just seems like a wholesome guy. The funny thing is I've quite literally never watched one of his videos. I, I have not watched his videos. I've just watched him right. in other like yeah. people's <laughs> stuff. I'm like, hey, this is kind of a cool guy. Yeah, which is yeah. funny because he's got whatever, because 200 million subscribers. Yeah. Uh, literally more than anybody else on the platform. Like I've never watched it and I spend, I consume almost all of my content from YouTube. Wow. Yeah. Uh, so other cool things, days are getting longer, big fan of that. Mm-hmm. We just had the daylight savings cut over, so it feels like days are longer, even though it's just a, a shifted time. But hey, you know, if it's going to be sunny at 7.30, I'm happy about that, uh, p.m. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it used to be dark at 4.30 p.m., mm-hmm. which was not ideal. So we're getting there. And along with that, uh, I'm not going to get into it too deeply, but restrictions are lifting, and I'm happy about it. Yeah, let's uh, leave it at that. Leave yeah, it at that. Yeah. Uh, other thing I've I discovered today that I have coworkers that play Rocket League, which means <laughs> I might have people to play with, and I don't have to do completely random luck of the draw online play all the time. Because mm-hmm. last time I played with coworkers was at my previous job, 
And we won a bunch of games, like I think five or six games in a row, because I could just talk to my teammate and be like, hey, I have no boost. And you'd be like, all right, cool. As opposed to having to guess what your teammate's going to do, and then they bump into you for no reason and get in your way, and then you get teammates instead that sometimes just carry you. You're like, oh, I'm terrible, and this guy's great. I'll just let him take the ball. So you never know what you're going to get. What if your coworker is trash and then that affects your relationship? Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's why I, it's good that I don't work directly with uh, this guy. Mm, cool, um, cool, he's cool. on a different team. Nice. So if he uh, causes me a bunch of, of grief in the game, I can just uh, pretend it never happened and uh, yeah, yeah. not message him. It's fine. Write him something mean yeah. on Xbox Live. And That's right. Move on. <laughs> yeah, and block yeah. him. Yeah. <laughs> Use my account if you have to. That's right. So anyway, that that should be interesting if if it comes about. And we actually have a Rocket League channel now in, in Slack, so it's very things are getting very serious. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that could be fun. Uh, interesting. We were just talking about this beforehand. Uh, you and I went and saw the Batman, and besides being like five to six hours too long, mm-hmm. yeah, it's about right. it's yeah. real good. Yeah. So I will, probably will never watch it again mm-hmm. because it's too much of a time commitment. But I did really like it. It felt like the first superhero movie that was made for like a post-2020 world. And uh, I was like, oh, yeah, the world does suck real bad. This is great. Uh, So I was really into it because I tried watching um, Spider-Man Far From Home a couple weeks ago. I guess like a month ago now. Mm -hmm. And uh, I could not get into it at all. It's all bright and colorful, juvenile and fun. I was like, nope, that ain't it. So that wasn't working, which is weird because I loved it when it came out. But I just couldn't get into it. Whereas the Batman, which is basically just black and red and sad, mm. uh, and then at the end it's hopeful, that worked for me. Okay. Yes. Because I was going to say, if you just want the dark and horrible girl with the dragon tattoo, is mm. classic. I see, I see. Yeah, there's no hope in it, though. Right. Well, I liked the hope. The I hope okay. The hope made me tear up a little bit. Nice. Uh, probably because I was very tired. Yeah, you were sleepy. <laughs> this is like 1 a.m. Yeah, yeah, that's what happens when you watch a 76-hour movie. Uh, frustrating. Mm. Yeah, I'm getting to the end of these, but frustrating. Instagram. What? Instagram just sucks. It's. Uh, I, I recently discovered, thanks to one of my friends, that whenever there's a suggested post, you can click on it and say hide suggested posts for the next 30 days and it won't show you suggested posts anymore Whoa. which is good because that was 85% of my feed I was mm-hmm. like I follow people so I can see what they're up to I want to see like pictures of their dogs but instead I'm just getting because someone you know follows this person that liked this post we thought we'd show it to you I'm like I don't I don't care yeah so anyway uh, I uninstalled Instagram mm-hmm. that's that's my final interesting thing and we're gonna see how it goes because uh, now I basically have no social media not on my phone anyway, and I'm not about to go log into Instagram on the computer, and certainly not going to use Facebook. Uh, and yeah, I haven't tweeted officially since 2017, mm-hmm. so should be good. Yeah, but what I'm wondering is if it's going to affect your relationship now that I can't send you memes. <laughs> <laughs> well, I had an agreement. Because, yeah, my, my girlfriend was not very happy that I installed Instagram. Mm-hmm. So the agreement currently is that I will, on Saturdays, re-add it to my phone. And that way, if I have any nice penguin uh, posts sent to me from my sister or if my girlfriend has sent me anything, or if, in this case, if you've sent me memes, mm-hmm. I, <laughs> I at least have one time in the week where I will catch up I see. on said shares. 
And then my uh, wholesome recommendation, this one's a light wholesome recommendation because I can't really recommend the show itself, but it is wholesome and I was struggling to think of a wholesome thing to recommend this week because I didn't prepare uh, ahead of time enough uh, to actually have a good idea. But I've watched the first four episodes of a series of unfortunate events um, and uh, it is fine. The first two episodes are really charming. So I'd say like if you just want one wholesome episode to watch the first one's really good the third one huge dip in quality i was really struggling wow. to get through it but yeah episodes one and two were really good and the fourth episode was okay but as far as just like something wholesome if you haven't watched it at all first two episodes are good nice yeah it's very quaint whoever they cast i don't recognize the actor but whoever they cast for lemony snicket he's really good very funny mm. so recommend that nice yeah tentatively uh what about you? <laughs> this is not, as it turns out, the uh, Nathan recommendation show. It should be, though. It could be. It, it needs its own show. Ah, time yeah. to go solo. Yeah. <laughs> Make some moves. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I'll start off with my non-tech stuff, and then I'll go to the tech stuff. That makes sense. Yeah. Uh, so the non-tech stuff, uh, I started watching Demon Slayer, because I've been trying to get into anime for a while, and I just don't. Uh, just because I just don't watch anything and no one gives me any great recommendations and the recommendations I have, I'm just lazy. Mm. Uh, so okay. I just finally gave in, started watching. Uh, the show is fun. It's everything I expected anime to be. Mm. Um, starts off very, very grim and then it's kind of cool. Like the main character is super wholesome. Uh, but within the first five minutes of the show, his entire family gets murdered um which sets his path in the story but you know you start the show and you're like oh what a cute family what a wholesome guy and then he comes home it's like oh my entire family's dead and you're like oh well well f uh yeah yeah so mm, besides that uh yeah demon slayer is the name which i have not mentioned yet uh but it's cool and i'm into it enough that i will probably watch the second season as well uh and i started playing it takes two with you. You did, yes. Yeah. We drank some scotch and, yeah, played a, a, a marriage, a healing, <laughs> counseling game. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, and it, it holds up. Like, I enjoyed it very much when I played it the first time, and I thought the second playthrough will be pretty much the same. But it's been long enough that I've forgotten most of the game, so everything just feels new again, and mm-hmm. it's pretty fun. The dialogues are good. The gameplay has unique mechanics here and there. Um, and, yeah, I think it's just very well done compared to a certain game by the same studios that i uh, also liked until the end there was hey there was a nice easter egg for it that's true yeah they had little dolls that you could like talk to uh no i was sold i was sold on it takes two when i was fighting a squirrel atop a a plane made of underwear yeah in street fighter style that's right yeah (laughs) so cool uh, yeah, and I spent, this is a frustrating part, Okay. I spent about an hour this morning trying to beat one of my high scores in Beat Saber, uh, and I was sweating, I was drenched, I had to like towel my face constantly, because <laughs> I have a very high score, but there's a one level up that I can turn up the difficulty and beat it. Mm-hmm. And once I beat it, I have a competition with my friend going, uh, where she is constantly trying to beat my high score. But right now it's at the point where it's going to be like pretty hard for her. 
but I I want to beat it so that I can get it to a stage where I can be just sure she'll never beat it. <laughs> but it's taking me so long. It took me all of my morning sweating, almost like slipping on my kitchen floor because my feet are sweaty, palm spaghetti. I'm nervous. It's about drive. It's about power. It's It really is. So I will be pushing again on Thursday, but it is extremely frustrating how <laughs> a slight mismatch on how the tracking works, or maybe I'm just bad, mm, yeah, uh, has not. just been causing a lot of grief. Mm. So we'll see. Hopefully it becomes better. Um, all right, on to tech things, because this is a tech podcast. Oh, yeah, so they tell me. Yeah. <laughs> I try to avoid that, but it turns out. <laughs> uh, I'll start off with uh, a new product I learned about called AWS Macy. Okay. Uh, which is a very cute name for something that does not tell you anything about what the product does. True. Uh, I couldn't tell you anything about what it does from that yeah. name. But it's apparently a data compliance and security accessor for S3. So... Have you ever been in this problem of not knowing which S3 buckets are public, which may not be? No. Some of the data stored in there might not be compliant. Mm. So what do you do? You have tons of buckets and you don't know what to do. Run AWS Macy on it. And it will spit out a report saying, hey, you have like 10 buckets that can be accessed by public and they store confidential information. You should fix it or fire your guy. Um, yeah, pretty cool. Oh. So. So it just does like an assessment of your current state and just tells you how things are. It's not really like it's not like a SaaS service, really. No, I see. Yeah, it's a. It it's does more just check. like a one-time report of sorts. Kind of, yeah. Uh, you can you can set it up to do like occasional sure. checks or whatever. Yeah. Uh, and I don't know exactly how the compliance part of it works, mm -hmm. but you can tell it to like look for certain compliance things. Okay, I'm making a note of this. I feel like see. it's important. You are DevOps now. That's right. Yeah. All of it is important. Yeah, if I can report back to my team and be like, yo, <laughs> I push this button and it says that these things are bad, mm. that'd be great. That would be great. Um, and the funny thing, uh, I learned there is a new game that was launched, I think, yesterday or something. Okay. By AWS called AWS Cloud Quest, uh, which is their new game version of learning your cloud architect stuff on the course. So within the game, you can ch solve challenges, win AWS Lambda power-ups and stuff to build the infrastructure diagram. So they're trying to gamify the learning portion of the AWS skill tree. Holy smokes. I know. I want to play it so badly just because mm. I know it'll be like, probably not good at all right yeah yeah. i was having the opposite feeling for the same reason <laughs> yeah <laughs> but i just i just want to see maybe it'll be like congratulations you've got this weird easter egg and we'll just give you the certification which i'm sure won't happen but still um it just I, they've all they've done is uploaded a youtube video about it okay and that's it and you can like go to the link and actually play it but it just like there's no documentation there's no like chat about it but to be fair it's been like less than 24 hours since they announced it so um, i'll just wait till people on reddit go on and share their opinions sounds uh, great okay yeah but it's just it's baffling to me that they were just like man people are having a really hard time understanding aws let's make a game mm, make yes a game. abstractions have never made anything more difficult to learn never never and people <laughs> who are learning all these cloud stuff might not 
be the ones who actually play the game very much. But I, what I'm getting out of it is maybe if it's like easy enough to understand, now a 12 year old will just like be architecting my cloud stuff, right? And just be like, your job is ridiculous. All you do is create this complex diagram to host Hello World or something. Um, yeah, it was it was very funny. Just in the video trailer, there's like this construction worker being like, "Oh, my website is having troubles," and your player is just like, "Well, we can just migrate it to S3," and then it turns into a little whatever looking old building to now a rocket launch pad um, because they've modernized it. Now it's just like none of this makes sense. So I'm hoping they're different things because if that's exactly a mission. Um, this is very confusing times. This sounds like a fascinating dumpster fire. Yeah, I can't wait. Maybe it's great. I'd be shocked, but uh, now I'm now I'm too curious. Yeah, <laughs> be curious. You yeah. know, dive deep into it. Right. Yeah. Um, and finally, okay, the frustrating thing that hasn't affected me yet, but I'll find out in a few days if it does. Uh, I hope it not. I hope not because I'm not on the networking side. But OpenSSL has yet another vulnerability. Uh, they patched it. There's a new version out, so hopefully all of you have unlimited or like upgrades ready. Uh, but this the vulnerability was found by some Google engineer. Then immediately fixed it, and they were like, "Hey, here's the release patch or whatever." But the vulnerability is fun because something the way the square root function works while it's calculating a private key hash or something uh, can go into an infinite loop, causing a server to crash. So you can DDoS a server by trying to do a man-in-the-middle attack with the invalid certificate you built. All Literally, all you have to do is go into your browser, change your certificate with something that will cause the loop, and just send a HTTPS request to a server. That's all. That's all you have to do. And it will screw that server up. So this just seems like crazy, crazy bad. Uh, unless your site doesn't have HTTPS, in that case, you're safe. Yeah, you're, you're fine. Yeah, just don't use SSL. Um, but every website out there, whatever, like the 2% maybe, uh, of the sites using HTTPS, this, this bad. Um, so yeah, this was just hilarious to learn and I uh, mm. hope it's been patched and or fixed, uh, by at least the big players. Cause yeah. Yeah. I hope they put some, uh, good regression tests in there. Maybe like, Hey, what happens if we just throw an invalid cert? I guess so. Mm-hmm. Cause you'd think. You'd think, You'd think that would have had already been in there. Yeah. I think it's like some some way you can like tweak that certificate to have that. Because I'm sure, because like people have been generating self-signed certificates before the beginning of mankind. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so, cave days. Yeah, cave days when they were like Ooga Booga local host. Uh, <laughs> 80, 80, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, self-signed cert. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's it's some way you can you can screw it up in a very specific way, and then it just causes the square root <clears> function <throat> to go into infinite loop. It's it's things like these that blow my mind. It's like no one would think, no one would think that calculating a square root would cause an infinite loop ever. Right. But it does. This it does so please. Yeah. So there was a uh, a time when I got really deep into property based testing for like six months. Mm. And this is the sort of place where something like that would be great mm. because property-based testing, its whole purpose is to find the edge cases that you didn't write tests for. So you're, it's kind of like with generative testing where you've got 
all right, we're going to regenerate our test data every time. It should just be like strings between this length and this length or whatever, and then just throw new data at it and make sure that you still get back valid responses. But normally in those cases, it's like generate a name, post the name, make sure the name matches the name we generated when you get back from the API. Whereas property-based testing is like under no conditions should this result be negative. And then it just mm -hmm. you just have like a schema and you just throw it at it and just be like, keep throwing things at this and no matter what, it should never return a negative number. And if you had something like that where it's literally just trying everything it can mm -hmm. every time the test suite runs to find something that fails, there's a chance that on the 400th run, it goes, oh, hey, this never completed. Mm -hmm. It just uh, spun forever. And you'd be like, uh-oh, why is that? Yeah. So they're a real pain, but there was a bug found in Haskell source code like years, might have been Haskell, or it was something, the, pro, the library was written in Haskell. I don't know if the, like the test library is written in Haskell. I don't know if the thing it was testing was written in Haskell, but it was the big like, uh, Claim, claim to fame of property-based testing years ago where they found some sort of weird edge case where it was like, if you provide these two values, they should provide different values when they're hashed, but they provide the same value. And this causes a super duper big bug. And uh, yeah, they were like, this is why property-based testing is great. So uh, unnecessary aside, but that's what it made me think of. Yeah, it's a very necessary aside because it's a tech podcast. True. Yeah. It wasn't about Rocket League. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I recant my apology. <laughs> yeah. To to our bros and the female bros that yeah. will be listening. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> You're welcome. Yeah. Speaking of errors, uh huh. Isn't alerting and alarms the greatest thing just ever made? Bruh. <laughs> Wouldn't you know it? That's what I've been working on. Tell us. Tell us why it's important, Nathan. Tell us what it is. Okay, so suppose that you had a bunch of asynchronous tasks that were running. Let's say they were called workflows, and let's say they were running on a service called Argo. Okay. Hypothetically. Hypothetically, yeah. And let's say that you had a bunch of tooling in your Python code hmm. that was posting the runtime errors uh, back into a service, let's say Sentry, mm -hmm. for example. Yeah. Uh, and the problem that could come up in theory, is if you're dispatching queues, or sorry, dispatching tasks to a queue that's no longer running in the application process, it's not going to report back those errors to your application because those application errors didn't happen at runtime of the application. They happened at the execution of the workflow on Argo servers. And so, point is, they never get reported to Sentry. So if something happened while trying to prepare the job for the queue, or if something happened when it was dispatching the job to the queue, if a database query failed when it was preparing the payload to be sent into the queue, anything like that, it would fail and let you know. But if it failed while running, you wouldn't know, especially because mm -hmm. a lot of these are uh, done with cron jobs. So mm -hmm. for example, Fine. you would define like a YAML file that says when this this is what the workflow should look like. Mm -hmm. And all the YAML file does is just point to functions in your application. And then if it's a cron workflow, it would say like run at this time. And so at that point, it never interacts with your program again. So they're completely decoupled, which is great for decoupling mm -hmm. because you're saying declaratively, this YAML file represents the pipeline that I want to deploy. And all the YAML file has to do is list some names of functions that it needs to execute. Those get built out, shipped, 
everything knows how to run on its own. It's not part of your application. But like I said, you might have things failing, and maybe they fail every hour for months on end and nobody knows. Hypothetically. Hypothetically. Yeah. And maybe you only find out when customers tell you that their data is wrong. Hypothetically. Yeah. So you might hire somebody at the company and then tell them to go fix it. So uh, if I were doing that, one thing I might do is try to impl- implement a sentry error to or- in order to report those things. And so the benefit of that would be that if something happens in this separate system, our uh, the same place we would expect to find application errors is able to tell us that something failed in this external system. Uh, so in other words, you don't have to go to like, another dashboard, you don't have to deal with Argo-specific tooling in order to figure it out. You can just look at application errors right next to Argo errors, all in Sentry, they'll aggregate. And in this case, no longer hypothetically, Hmm. they generate tickets for new errors. So whenever a unique error comes in, a bug report gets fired off in Jira, and you've got a automated Jira ticket that links to the Sentry error, which is quite nice. So, the reason why I set all that up is because obviously I've been working on that. Wow, not <laughs> yes. hypothetically. Uh, let's just say, let's say a lot of it was hypothetical, <laughs> I see, I see. and some of it was not, like the parts where we're shipping to Sentry. Mm. So let's just say that part is not hypothetical. Mm. Uh, there are the nice thing about working with Sentry is I was surprised how simple it was. So. The main thing with Sentry, right, is it is just a home with a like just a, a place to stuff all of your errors, all of your exceptions, and then it handles things like aggregation. And when it aggregates all the errors together, you can see each event is what they call it. So if you had the same error occur a bunch of different times for different users, it would say like this error occurred 30 times in the last hour for 12 different users, and then you could look at the events and it would say when they occurred, what users it occurred for. And if, uh, hopefully, it's mostly for the same reason, but maybe you just had like, all right, there you look at it and it's all these users, they happen to be in the same account, uh, or like the same, if you have the idea of accounts or organizations or whatever, uh, maybe they're all under the same one, you realize, oh, it's a faulty organization configuration. It doesn't apply to everybody, but it will apply to anybody in that org that tries to do this thing. So it's a good dashboard for like aggregating stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And you can stuff in stack traces. But the point is that it's very easy to get it set up in a basic way. Like if you go to the Sentry CLI documentation, you can literally just like, which is what I did, was I just pulled the Sentry CLI image because they have a Docker image that's already available. And so you can just like pull the image, spin up a container, and then just run the container with any Sentry command. And as long as you've provided your uh, DSN, then you can send that to your Sentry server mm-hmm. and it shows up. So you can basically just be like, you know, send event dash M hello world. Now you have a new error in your, in your Sentry. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what that wound up looking like in my non-hypothetical, hypothetical real world situation was uh, Argo has these things called exit handlers. And so it allows you to say when this process completes for any reason, execute this thing. And so I said, all right, well, if the status of the workflow was not success, then execute this step. And the step was just to fire off an event into Sentry. And 
it was based on that Docker container. So I could just say, instead of having to build my own Docker container, I just said, use the Sentry CLI container, run the command, uh, send event with this payload and each um, workflow could tell the like generic template what its name was so that it would aggregate properly and send its own failures. And then you go into Sentry, you just have a big JSON blob of like, this is what went wrong. Easy peasy. Wow, lemon squeezy. Yeah, so now it's nice because I can point at all the developers and say, hey, stop complaining about your stuff not working because I'm full DevOps mindset now. Yeah, stop. I complain only. Yeah, no, well, no, 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 not that. I was going to say, stop complaining about your stuff not working. Mm-hmm. The reason it's not working is because your code doesn't work. Mm. Fix your code. Otherwise, I'm deleting this. Mm. Easy. I Easy. like it. Yeah. And now that I have bugs in Sentry, I can send the link. Be like, hey, don't complain that your data's wrong. I didn't do it. Your code can't run. Fix your code. Mm. Otherwise, I'll delete it, which is my, my current threat nice. for everything because we have too many workflows. Mm. Uh, but yeah, that's a, a literally a long anecdote just about uh, <laughs> monitoring. <laughs> yeah. It just covered all the, all the bases. Yeah, yeah. So that's more like alerting, but the, um, or at least logging of some sort. But tied into that is the process of needing to debug these errors. So one of the things I did, uh, one of the first steps was we kept getting out of memory exceptions. And so uh, one of the things I was asked to do was add metric server, which is just a baked in thing that allows you to deploy a Helm chart, defines a, or exposes a metrics API on your cluster. And then you can assign it to a specific namespace. And so I assigned it to the Argo one. And then you could just be like, all right, tell me everything about the uh, memory utilization for pods in the Argo namespace. And that way we could see, do these like slam immediately <laughs> into the air, uh, into the uh, resource constraints that we gave it. If we double it, is it well under? And it was just needing like slightly more than we had before. Um, like how close are we to the limits basically? Because if we are see, because all it, all that Argo tells us afterwards is what we allowed it to use, not how much it actually used. So we need some sort of real time thing for a dev to go in and say, "This keeps getting out of memory exception. Let me double the amount of memory I give it." Mm-hmm. Does it get anywhere close? No. All right. Well, let's not double it then. <laughs> let's do like uh, you know an extra twenty five percent or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, so something like that lo- was a bit closer to the monitoring side, and then Sentry was more about alerting. And all this is uh, fairly new to me, but the fun part is that uh, it's a lot of just waiting for things and seeing if they explode and then making sure everybody knows when they explode. And the result is that the application explodes less because people don't like it when their stuff explodes and they hear about it. Mm -hmm. If they don't hear about it, they don't do anything. Yeah, Yeah, then it's fine, exactly. (laughs) And then you get end users saying, why is your application so unstable? And salespeople being like, we want to show this off and it doesn't work half the time. Hmm. And you can't have that if you're a startup. Mm-hmm. So even if I don't know what I'm doing, even just setting things up that tell people when things are breaking, huge benefit. Yeah. Who knew communication and like just... Transparency. Transparency, yeah. Yeah. I just thought anytime there's out of memory error, you just curl download more RAM.ru and you're good. Well, that's, yeah, so you need to have strategies for auto-recovery. I see. (laughs) And so, yeah, auto-recovery is kick over the pods after 
downloading more RAM. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Makes sense. But so okay, so what is the Sentry integration? So the, you're saying there's a Docker container that you it Are comes you... it comes with the Sentry CLI pre-installed. Okay. And that's really all you need, as it turns out. So Sentry doesn't have like a SDK you can integrate into your application? Surely it does. Okay. At, in the application code. And so that's what we have in the Python side. Right? So the the difference here is that all Argo is is a bunch of YAML, at least as far as the way that you interact with it. It's just a bunch of YAML that tells Argo what containers to spin up from what images and then what commands to pass to those containers on startup. And so instead of saying, pull the entire application container, spin it up just to run this new um, sentry command that I've written that uses the, the SDK or something. Mm-hmm. And so I was just like, well, there's this super small, lightweight sentry CLI container. How about you pull that if anything goes wrong? And then you can just run a Sentry CLI command. Makes sense. All the Sentry CLI command needs is some text passed to it. Argo already has all the information it needs about what uh, the workflow name was that ran, what the status was, what the failures were. And so, yeah, you just pass those to the container. It executes the send event command. And the um, environment variables are passed in either explicitly or the secret ones are through Kubernetes secrets. And it knows how to get those. You just say like, yeah, secret ref location, tell it where to get it. And it's the most hands-off way I could think of, of mm-hmm. doing it. So like, yeah, if you were, so the original implementation used the SDK um, and it was pretty bad because all it knew was that something had failed, but it didn't know why. So you have this Slack channel that would just get spammed with something went wrong but it had no context because it was running in the application and the application doesn't know what happened. doesn't have any of the execution context. It was just like, hey, I heard that something went wrong, so I'm going to post in Slack about it. And that used the SDK and you can have something nice like a decorator, which is what we had. Uh, and it was just like report failure. And it would just be like, it failed. You're like, sick. Thank you. <laughs> no more info. No, no more info. Because it doesn't talk with Argo. It was just like, I, I heard that something went wrong. So yeah, if you're writing application code, then working with an SDK would work well, and that's what I've used at my previous company as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but in this particular case, because it's just YAML with Docker files, or not Docker files, Docker images, you're just like, yeah, run this image, run this command on that image, and you're good to go. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, because I have you. I did the similar thing on Elasticsearch. Uh, and when I had a problem like that, Elasticsearch was just like, we're just a web server. <laughs> you could literally just curl. And that's what we did. And it worked uh, just because Elasticsearch is cool mm-hmm. like that. Uh, or you can hit a Logstash or whatever. Um, but but yeah, it's it's cool to know. That they're just like, hey, we just build a CLI for you. Just run this little binary. Yeah. Whatever. Yeah. yeah, surely you could probably write a curl command instead. I'm sure CLI probably wraps some stuff yeah. or whatever, but uh, it is much more convenient to just say like, yeah, run this container. It already knows how to run the CLI commands and just pass it the command you want it to run with whatever arguments you want to provide to it. Pass in like the things you want to tag on it, the environment. Uh, the, the cool thing too is that uh, it's because it's running a container that inherits uh, 
from the workflow that it runs in. It already knows what environment it's running in, so I just gave it the um, like all caps environment variable as the env. So it automatically knows whether to send it to staging or production or whatever. And so that was, it was that and a lot of other things that were environment related, you kind of just got for free, yeah. um, which was really nice. Hmm. Cool. Yeah. Um, yeah, also reminded me of an app called Splunk, but that low-key gives me PTSD. <laughs> I don't want to think about it as much. Even you just saying Elasticsearch <laughs> made my heart pressure or my blood pressure go up a little bit. Did you ever use Rollbar in your lifetime? Not directly. I, I, I interacted with it. Mm-hmm. No, <laughs> yeah, last I used it, I, I mean, it was okay. It was not as bad as Elasticsearch, although Elasticsearch Cloud now is pretty great. Ever since they sold their soul and became not open source, uh-huh. uh, they have <laughs> doing really good. Uh, <laughs> but you now have to pay for everything, mm-hmm. which sucks, but, you know, it just do be that way. Yeah. yeah. And sometimes paying for things is worth it, you know? That's true. That's the whole cloud model. <laughs> This is most tech, yeah. 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 <laughs> Just pay a little bit and you don't have to worry about it, okay? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Infinity something. Uh, yeah, I'm trying to like think how to categorize things. Um, yeah, you talked about collection. You're using yeah. the CLI. Does Sentry is just it's cloud service? You don't have to worry about storage, anything. You just. Well, apparently we're about to run out of transactions soon, so we're trying to clean things up. (laughs) While I, so (laughs) one of the other guys on my team, he currently has a ticket to remove a bunch of sentry errors that we're sending that are un like not useful. Mm. Ignore some, remove some, clean things up so they're not sending sentry errors. Meanwhile, I'm I have a ticket to add like potentially hundreds a day new sentry errors. So we'll see how it shakes out in the in the overall ledger. But uh, yeah, we do have some constraints. I don't know what they are. Um, but I, I forgot to mention, I haven't gotten to this part yet, so I'm not able to really talk too much about it um, in depth. But the one of the things I did was clean up. So uh, we had a bunch of the, we had an issue where Argo creates Kubernetes workflows and then was cleaning up those workflows afterwards, usually but it was leaving all the pods that the workflows created behind. Mm -hmm. So we just had thousands of pods in a completed state. And so I updated stuff so that as soon as the pods, as soon as the workflow completed, or in some cases, as soon as the pod completed, it would delete the pod. Well, that means you have no persistent logging. So if you go to Argo afterwards and check logs, it's gonna say, there's no pod. I don't know where to find the logs. But we already have that integrated with Datadog. And Mm -hmm. so, the at runtime the logs are being piped into Datadog and we'll be able to look at them there. But that's something I'm supposed to start on tomorrow. <laughs> so I, I haven't actually confirmed uh, when I go to document for all other people how to debug their errors, uh, how to navigate Datadog and whether or not we're even piping all of our uh, appropriate failures out to Datadog or not. Um, but that is the larger picture is like we wanted to clean up more quickly and so in order to be able to clean up pods and free up space in our cluster, we need to store those logs somewhere. And uh, I wasn't around when the conversation was had about Datadog, but that's what we were using. Hmm. And uh, I've heard of Datadog before and that it's apparently good. 
So. Datadog is amazing. Yeah. Um, but Datadog also seems to provide a lot of similar things that Sentry does. Mm-hmm. There so. was a discussion earlier about whether we still need a Datadog because we do pay for it. So uh, I am so. curious, what's the distinction? How are you using yeah. them differently? That's right. I'm going to learn more about that. I see. I see. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So that's something I need to investigate. And I think that's a, I think the way we're trying to use it is a bit more on the uh, monitoring side. But honestly, like if we're just shoving logs somewhere, like we already shove logs into S3, mm-hmm. just maybe shove some more logs into S3 and have some sort of life cycle policies. It's like, hey, if you haven't accessed these logs in 30 days, move them down into an archive. Yeah. So we don't pay for them forever. Uh, so that'll be worth discussing. See why we're using certain things. Um, the One of the fun things about being a small company is that things like paying for Datadog matters. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so we can have a discussion like, do we need Datadog? Uh, should we be using something we're already using? How can we save costs here? How can we save costs there? So I might have a report back in the next podcast or two about the result of that. But at this point, I don't know yet. Okay. Yeah, I look forward to that because we, the way we distinguished that at EA was we had Datadog as our infrastructure reporter. So because Datadog has all these excellent little CLIs and daemons you can throw into containers, your Kubernetes clusters, your running machines anywhere, uh, we used it to maintain all our infrastructure logging and reporting. So memory, CPU usage, whatever, things are dying, things are good, what's going on, processes. And then we used our Elasticsearch uh, cluster for application level monitoring of bugs, crashes, error reports, and whatever. And then, then it made sense to keep two things and they had very separate roles. So our ops team can exclusively look at Datadog and our dev team can exclusively go look at uh, Kibana and figure mm-hmm. out why their app is crashing. And every once in a while we would like overlap two browser windows and just be like, Anytime this crashes, the memory just went really high up. <laughs> so y'all should fix this. <laughs> uh, it would be nice, I guess, if we also correlated those somehow, I guess, in the same platform if there was an option. Um, but then I guess then the whole conversation again would be like, do we need two platforms? And at least until I left, that's where I drew the line mm-hmm. uh, just for like clarity and sanity's sake and seemed to work pretty well. Yeah, what I think has happened a lot at my current company for pretty much all solutions we have so far is somebody just makes a decision on what they like and then that's what we use. Mm -hmm. Uh, Not really a discussion of what are we trying to achieve. And so now that we have more people on the team, it might be time to say, all right, we've got Datadog, we wanted to use it for this. We've got S3, we're storing these logs here. We've got runtime logs in our pods we've got this we've got all these different places we're storing things what are we actually trying to achieve what do devs like using what's everybody comfortable using what do we prefer what do we like what do we not like and then hopefully we can just narrow it all down to fewer tools uh fewer logins fewer things for people to keep track of yeah i'm sure there's some aws leadership principle you can use to make your case there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah we'll see invent and simplify or something that's right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that's cool. Uh, so many collection things. Uh, while we've named all these cool softwares for collection, mm-hmm. CloudWatch. Mm. Uh, shameless plug. Yeah. Yeah. Good. yeah, yeah. I, uh, I've only set up CloudWatch for... Wait, CloudWatch? 
Well, cloud logs is like their whatever. I just say cloud yeah. watch for everything. Everything that's everything monitoring? Everything that's in that cloud. Okay. And, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I'm pretty sure I'm thinking of the right thing because there's some things that are named very similarly. But I'm pretty sure I'm thinking of the right thing. All I have is like a cloud watch dashboard for the um, Regis caches that I set up mm-hmm. just to make sure that they're doing things I expect uh, and without having to constantly shell in and see what's going on just be like high level (laughs) are we storing things are we getting hits and misses when we expect when we get missed does the number of objects cached go up yes all right good seems to be doing what it's doing um but other than that i haven't really used much with respect to cloud watch i know you can do a bunch of like custom alerting i learned that through my course Mm -hmm. uh, where i got certified so uh you can set up like custom alerts that will say all right ram went up too high or or whatever, um, or custom things that are business logic related, like this event occurred, we don't want it to. It happened too many times. We don't like that. Yeah. Alert. We've decided. Yeah. We decided. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So and th- there is a cloud query or something. I don't fucking know what it's called, but you can query your CloudWatch logs right. uh, in whatever their DML is. Um, but yeah, you can go and say like, all right, any logs in the last 20 minutes, do I find this string? Uh, and then you can aggregate or whatever. It's just, it's basically like Elasticsearch stuffed in there yeah. <laughs> uh, for just logs. Uh, or if you're using S3, Athena, Spectrum, search your S3 logs. Yeah, dude, like I tried to convince my last team that AWS had tools built specifically for the problems we were trying to solve mm. and was, yeah, basically told to take a hike. So I haven't used those, <laughs> but I think we use a lot more of the baked in services from AWS at my current company. I'm just not on the teams that use it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm pretty sure we have a bunch of uh, Athena queries right now that we run. So cool. maybe one day I'll see them. Who knows? Who knows? Who knows? One day you might just be making your own AWS. For all I know. That's right. NWC. Yeah. NWC. <laughs> <laughs> New web cloud. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, Nathan, Nathan's <laughs> web cloud. Yeah. <laughs> this show has been sponsored by Nathan's web cloud. Yeah. Coming 2024. <laughs> yeah. True, true cross cloud. Any request you make to it uses one of the three SDKs at random and creates your service. <laughs> you don't know. You can't find it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, your Linux box might be EC2, but your load balancer might be on GCP. Latency times are not varied. That's right. Uh, yeah. yeah, my entire service is just a, cl- a lookup table. It's just like the randomly generated name that provide created in AWS or GCP or Azure yeah. mapped to whatever I'm going to tell you it's called. <laughs> yeah, and it's all over public internet. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because yeah, I can't know that I'm using internal AWS networks because it might be on Azure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. They'll be like, why is this cache taking so long? No idea. Yeah. That's uh, the price you pay for cross cloud. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Should have thought of that first. <laughs> uh, but it's one SDK. Uh, yeah. It's all YAML. And cool. And then, yeah. And then the, the great thing you touched on notification. Right, knowing what what things the things are doing, chat ops. Number one rule of chat ops: don't throw everything in there. It's always a cool idea, and it's fun to look at until you're like, wow, now it's just too noisy. Yeah, which yeah. I muted the channel as soon as I was added to it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> everyone does it. Everyone does it. And then I I remember at EA this being a problem where we had a chat ops channel with everything in it, and so everyone was like, 
oh this is too spammy let's create another channel with another a subset one. of these yeah and there was another one with tier one alerts or something we the I'm best like, alerts yeah <laughs> I was like, is there, is any of these channels not muted for someone? Does anybody actually look at these? Um, are we just using Slack as our S3 bucket at this point? Where's, what's with all this? What's all this then? You know? <laughs> so uh, the, the ironic thing is that probably the most successful chat ops I've ever done was five years ago when I had no idea what I was doing. We just had these internal sync jobs that needed to run at GoToMobi, and I'd set up Slack alerts for it. Where it was like if it failed once, it was just for the the um, internal users, so that I didn't have they didn't have to come ask me about stuff. But it would just be like, all right, failed once, and it would just send out a quick message that said, no need to act, failed, alerts may be or uh, numbers may be delayed up to twenty minutes. Basically, just saying like the last sync failed, don't count on the numbers unless you're okay with it being twenty minutes old. And then the next time it would be like failed again keep an eye out for another failure and it would be like okay actual like third consecutive failure where nothing had passed because if it passed again it would just not say anything it would reset the count um, but if it failed a third time it'd be like third consecutive failure numbers at least one hour old uh, and then depending on the type of error I just had this basic thing that would just be like if it was this type of error leave this sort of message that would just be like hit this button it should kick things over and restart it um, hit this button if this other thing happened or if it's if it was unknown, it would just say like ask Nathan if he can figure out what's going on. Uh, <laughs> and so it was like for the most part, I didn't have to do anything about it because people would just know my numbers are kind of old, and then they would just wait and it would run successfully the next time because I was running on almost no resources because I was a junior dev that didn't deserve any resources. Of yeah, <laughs> and um, otherwise, if something went wrong and they actually did want to kick it over, it was just like yeah, just go go into the UI, hit this button, it will sort of restart things and uh, should fix it. Yeah. So it was great. It was very successful. And wow. then years later, it's I've only seen spam and, <laughs> and things where everybody just gets uh, carried away. Yeah, it's been five years and you're still trying to figure out what constrained resource to work under. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but that's so cool. I'm proud of early 20s Nathan. That's right. Um, yeah, because my very first note after that is make notifications actionable. It's no use for anyone or your ops team if an alert gets fired and there is no standard operating procedure. You look at it and you're like, well, okay. Um, <laughs> what do I do now? <laughs> well, yeah. Whoever your on-call is is crying and um, at that point they might just, you know, kill themselves. And that's not cool. No, no, because unlike pods, they won't spin back up. That's true. Yeah. 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 So uh, keep that in mind. <laughs> yeah. Keep that in mind. Make sure your whatever chat ops are fine. Next notifications, Jira's. You know, don't create too many Jira's. Don't get emotional uh, based on <laughs> based on whatever alerts you might be generating. Because in the old times before Slack and Rocket Chat were <laughs> uh, people. <laughs> People just created tickets. Anytime there was an error, there would be a ticket. And uh, it makes everyone sad because you will wake up one morning because there was some like outage of a cloud provider that nobody foresaw coming. And you now have 200 tickets in your Jira. Good luck deleting those. Have fun. Um, yeah. So this was one of the important points about aggregating failure notifications mm. because, yeah, uh, separate from me, we've decided that automatic Jira bug tickets is a good idea 
based on century errors, which means it's really important that they aggregate. Otherwise, because my first pass, because I've iterated on this century thing a few times, my first pass I used workflow.name, which was great because you define workflow name and I thought it'd be static. But no, there's workflow name, but there's also generate name. And whether you use generate name, which is just a prefix and it slaps something on the end, or name, both of them just slap something on the end. So yeah, workflow.name is always randomly generated. Uh, sometimes it's all numbers, at which point Sentry says, oh, it's this prefix and then an integer. I can aggregate those. But sometimes it includes characters. And then it's just like, this is unique. Never seen this one before. Mm. And you're like, no. <laughs> uh, and so, you, yeah, you don't want unique Sentry errors that are becoming unique bug tickets for every single one of those. Uh, so yeah, I've got these stupid hard-coded things, and at least we won't wake up one morning with 300 new bug tickets just because uh, US East 1 went down again. Yeah. So but like we'll still week. have 30. Yeah, we'll still yeah. have 30 new bug tickets. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. And remember when people used to send out like email summaries on these things? Uh, so anytime you're trying to do that through an automated system, at least summarize the data. Mm. That's That's been my pain point anytime I've seen one of these um, because A, no one reads emails. <laughs> B, people who do, if they see 20 emails off with like similar subject titles, it's immediately getting deleted. Yes. If you send one with like 20 links in it, someone might glance over. <laughs> uh, so yeah, it might be... It might also just not be a problem anymore because of everyone's just using cloud providers and whatever these cloud services to send these alerts out. But if for some reason you're one of those poor souls building a custom solution, um, just know this. You might be a young Nathan right now trying to build your own notification service listening to this. Mm. Um, yeah. Just tell them no, that email is not part of the requirement. Uh, <laughs> and everything else you can probably summarize pretty well. Sometimes I think I'm a bad person when I look at... This, not Specifically in this case, I, I usually think I'm a bad person. But specifically because I feel like I spend half my time when I'm given requirements from somebody just arguing and being like, this is out of scope for this or this is unnecessary. <laughs> And just, it seems like I'm just trying to not do work. Mm -hmm. But oftentimes I just disagree with the requirements. I was like, you need to sell me on this. Yeah. And in that case, if they were like, you need to email, I'd be like, nobody wants your stupid emails. Mm -hmm. uh, you should probably understand that right now. Because yeah. Um, yeah, I get thousands of emails a day currently and uh, they all get straight deleted. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I have filters set up that automatically delete almost all of my emails because I just get too many. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Filters are great. That's one of the few things male clients have built successfully uh, that I also use constantly at my job. There's I mean, a alerts folder where all of them go, and after 15 days or something, they go straight to trash. I was thinking about the other day, though. Like, shout out to Gmail because it's free. You can just make a Gmail account. That's true. And it's such a good email service. Like, I was just using it the other day, setting up filters and stuff, and I went, this doesn't have to be completely free. Mm -hmm. it's just because it's Google's yeah. they just want everybody to have Google accounts but it didn't have to be free and it is Yeah, I'm sure if Microsoft made it they wouldn't have been like yeah yeah make this free forever well Outlook Outlook sucks yeah but it's free right yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yahoo Mail it's still alive 
but they delete. I found out they delete all your emails if you haven't logged in in a year. Hmm. It surely sucks. It's like the opposite of Facebook. Yeah. You haven't logged in ever, and they already have a pre-made account for you. Yeah. <laughs> we know this person. It's okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Why are you not on Facebook? Oh, you are with four fake names. We know you. Yeah. <laughs> um, cool. And then the final thing I want to touch on okay. is escalation. Mm. How many errors before things go from low to high severity to let's page Nathan at 2 a.m.? Mm, never. Never. <laughs> Fortunately, yeah, not working in healthcare anymore. Mm-hmm. It matters far less, which is terrific. Yeah. Far, this is a good environment for me to be learning this sort of stuff in. Because mm-hmm. uh, I don't have to worry about people dying if my system doesn't work. Yeah, that so, would be bad. That would be bad. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Bad, okay. <laughs> dying is bad. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, people relying on your software? Crazy. It's, it's good, yeah. But, uh, but I thought you guys were like obsessed with customers. Uh, well, I would like to disagree and commit to a different (laughs) (laughs) virtue, which I I think is think big and lean or something like that. I I don't remember exactly what it was, (laughs) Mm -hmm. but, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know. We, we only stole some of them. I see. I see. Okay. Uh, yeah. So at ours, when the service was launching, Mm -hmm. people were, there were so many errors that people were just like, oh, this is really important. If this happens, we should immediately page. Uh, and that got ruled over within a week of going live. Right. So many things. They were like, this is unnecessary. Nobody needs to be paged for this. If this hasn't been looked over in like two weeks, page me. But up until then, no. A lot of this is customer self-caused issues. <laughs> They're figuring it out. We can at least give them two days before they, like before we get pinged and whatever. Um, and yeah, just the way the severity and everything was set up. There were a couple of alarms we ended up just like removing. Uh, so... I know it sounds good in practice to just be like, hey, it's better if we got alerted for things and then removed it, uh, but then we should get alerted for everything. I strongly disagree. I think unless you can make a really good case of this will be extremely bad if we don't get alerted, you shouldn't alert yourself. Let your application crash. It's okay. You might find better ways of auto recovery or knowing wherever your system lags as opposed to just constantly alerting because it failed on something trivial or even if something important, but it's not urgent. Right. Um, That's like I was about to say. If it's not like the critical core of your business, like your about page is crashing, you're like, eh. If your shopping cart is crashing and nobody can pay you, mm-hmm. that's probably important. And if you can fix that, you should. And you should also probably have some sort of better testing (laughs) (laughs) to make sure that that doesn't happen again. Uh, But quickly, I wanted to go on the flip side of that, which is I've seen uh, Slack alerts. I think we have them at my current company too. When uh, like CI pipelines fail, Hmm. and it's like that's the opposite of important. And it happens so much that like what you should have instead of alerts, because we don't care that it failed. We just want to make sure that you can't go any further. It's like, mm-hmm. okay, the CI checks for your PR failed. Nobody else cares. Mm-hmm. You need to fix that so that it passes. And if it's something not related to you, then you need, can ask the team like, hey, is anybody else seeing this? Because mine's failing. And then if it's some external dependency, you know, maybe USC one's down. Uh, maybe you just can't run your end-to-end tests right now, so you can't merge because it's failing. Whatever. But the point is that if you have these checks and like your deploy development or deploy staging doesn't work, 
if your deploy development fails, just make sure that you can't then promote that image to staging until it passes. And then from staging, if it's failing, the CI, make sure that you can't uh, promote it to production until it's passing. And so, yeah, we don't need alerts every single time it fails. We just need to make sure that you can't do the bad thing next, which is promote a failing build. Because, hmm. yeah, nobody cares that it failed. It's just when they go to deploy it, they can't. Just make sure that's the case. Yeah. Inaction in that case is the important action. <laughs> mm -hmm. But then how, how do they know? Well, because they go to try to deploy and they can't. I see. Or you just have someone annoying like me who, prior to being told to shut up, would just go every morning and just check and be like, hey, deploy staging hasn't failed, or hasn't passed in the last 18 hours. We should probably get that fixed today. And then the next morning, I was like, hey, it's been four hours. Deploy staging has failed the last 12 times. Could we fix that? And then, yeah, I got told to stop doing that. So uh, now it just fails most of the time. But trying to set up some rules so that you can't promote failing images yeah. Because, yeah, me being the chat ops was unappreciated. <laughs> yeah. You, you, I don't know. I think you make a better human than a robot. I, mm, debatable. I see. Yeah. Okay. We can, we can dive deep into that. Speaking of that, I've been watching Mr. Robot. Mm. Very related. I relate very highly to Elliot, <laughs> at least in the early episodes. Mm -hmm. uh, where, yeah, um, I may be a bit more of a robot than a human at times. Who knows? Well, as a robot mm -hmm. and a human, mm. as a real human, or a hubot. A hubot. A hubot. <laughs> um, what things did you do better with your life? Well, okay, so I've I've got a few different categories here. So I've got my usual wow. my usual things I did better. So we'll start there, and then I'm gonna follow up with a new section at the end. So I've got my my did betters. Got a haircut. That just needed to happen. Mm. And I did that while I was visiting my friends on the island, which was great. It was really nice to see everybody. It was cool that I could tell that at least some of them legitimately missed me and were happy that I was there. Uh, so that was nice. And I apparently, last time we recorded, committed to like assessing and thinking about my uh, quarterly, my Q1 goals and how they were going and thinking about my Q2 goals and just assessing like my life stuff in general. So I did that. And I feel, uh, just as a note on that, I feel really good about how my Q1 goals went. Um, this was the first year where I didn't do year full year goals up front. I focused on quarterly stuff with like overarching ideas. And it was this first quarter was really based on uh, like work-life balance and uh, my new relationship. So I was focused on that. And that stuff went really well. Uh, so I'm going to try to carry a lot of that into my next quarter uh, where it's a bit more focused on like health and wellness and friendships because I didn't focus much on friendships. It was mostly on new relationship and not working too much. Yeah. Uh, so with those things sort of sorted, I can adjust my skew a little bit going into Q2. And that's part of my, my do better is finalize my Q2 goals, just general ideas on what things I would like to focus on and then the specifics. So I'm following the same approach because it worked really well, where it's like key areas of focus and it'll be, yeah, things like health and wellness, friendships, and then it's like under those ideas, what specifics am I going to focus on? Um, so eating more variety of food or making two new friends or whatever, specific things that are easy to, to, to apply and know if I did them. Uh, some things I did not do better, I still didn't book a dentist appointment, which I really need to do. 
Uh, and I absolutely did not do my Spanish lessons more regularly at all. So do better. Do my Spanish lessons more regularly. Wow, 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 wow. Yes, because I have basically just been closing the app every time. In my defense, I uh, didn't feel like doing a whole lot when I was uh, sick for like five or six days. So at least part of that is justified and I got out of the habit. But I just need to do it and stop making excuses. I need to get back into playing piano, uh, which means I need to go get a piano or keyboard. Because uh, that's the only quarterly or Q1 goal I haven't done yet um, was getting back into piano. So do that, finalize Q2 goals. And this one is a dumb one, but I haven't mentioned a goal like this in a while. I want to get uh, started on grinding away at Rocket League 1v1 again. Oh, wow. All right. Uh, because I want to get good. I thought this was going to be like buy new socks, but this is somehow better. No, no. So this is this is the thing, right? I've got this new section of my do-betters. And these are called my to-do betters because I've noticed that my do betters have become a to-do list, and it's really lame. <laughs> those see. aren't those aren't do betters. Like, mm. call your mom, book a dentist appointment. These That's are just true. things that you should just do, like, mm. in my to-do betters. So now I have to have actual do betters going forward. There are things you're going to do better on, and then if I have just a bunch of to-dos, I have to list them separately. I can't just put them in my do-betters, and they will prevent me from having this really lame list of do-betters. So in my to-do-betters, call my mom, mm. schedule a dentist appointment, <laughs> finish my taxes, get a piano or keyboard. Wow. And that way, I have to put real things in my do-betters. But if you just call your mom, she can schedule a dentist appointment. No, I'm an adult. <laughs> The problem is that I moved and I've been going to the same dentist now for five years in on the island and I have to find a new dentist here. And so I got in the habit of just, yeah, whenever I go to the dentist, I shouldn't even say the habit. The way it works is you go yeah. to the dentist and you book your next one when you leave and then they call you and say, you're going to be there on Tuesday. And I say, yes. And then I show up on Tuesday. Mm -hmm. This time they called me and said, you're going to be there on Tuesday. And I said, I'm not even in town. I'm not even on the island. Mm -hmm. I will not be there on Tuesday. And I haven't booked a dentist appointment since then. So I have to find a dentist and book, which will probably be three months from now, and uh, try my best. But uh, yes, I did I did text my mom a bunch, though, because I was like, hey, yeah, sorry. Uh, I usually call her on Sundays, mm -hmm. but that's my, my girlfriend's only day off. So I've been putting more time into actually hanging out with her on Sundays. And because of the time difference, it's a bit more difficult to schedule something during the week or on Saturday uh, with my mom over in Ontario. Yeah, age-old prophecy. New girl comes in, the boy forgets old, old one. That's right. how it works. Right. Yeah, you are another disappointing son. Congratulations. Yes. <laughs> I always knew it would happen. <laughs> what Speaking about you? of disappointment, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Speaking, yeah. <laughs> Some people disappoint their mothers, others just disappoint themselves. So, again, constantly, what do you, what you have to tell us? Um, well, what I did better on was I tried to start finding some YouTube stuff to learn Spanish. Okay. Um, didn't like any of it. Mm. Uh, found some podcast stuff, and my headphones died. <laughs> so, <laughs> I'm blaming everything on external factors and a lack of motivation. Uh, but I'm gonna gonna start doing that uh, as well. Copy copy that over. Uh, wait, I just I just merged it and do betters and the same. 
I got to do better on this. So, uh, <laughs> and, but it's because I didn't do a lot better. A lot of things just I didn't do. Uh, so, yeah, the, with the sickness and having some sad boy vibes mm-hmm. uh, for a while, it's been just, um, yeah, try to look over some of that stuff, read a little bit more. Um, did snowshoeing, uh, which is something I've been wanting to do for a while. And I don't get the appeal. I, I will probably never do it again. Uh, unless I had some really good company and they really wanted to do it. And I will probably never snowshoe again in my life. Uh, and I took a chill recharge day uh-huh. on Sunday. Uh, stayed home, curled up, watched a bunch of Demon Slayer and ate ice cream. It was excellent. Mm. And I finally bought the Linux handbook. I've been wanting to buy that for so long. It's a thick boy. It's a thick, thick boy. And it's 100 bucks. And so I've just been like so reclusive about it. Because on the internet, you can't see the width. Because mm. you always see the cover. And I'm just like, ah, I don't know if I want to pay 100 bucks. But then I remember all tech books are really expensive. Cracking the coding interview is like 140 bucks or something. Uh, and it's like not even that helpful uh at least in my industry or I, my role i read it like seven times and still failed the interview yeah so the, <laughs> it's a scam uh but go listen to our interview episodes and we recommend that book uh for my do betters because i didn't do a lot of betters uh i will be trying to put more effort into finding the alternate ways for spanish i think i'm gonna go the media route i'm gonna try to find some like TV shows and such with subtitles or things that are like easier for beginners to pick up, which probably means Dora the Explorer. Nice. Uh, but we'll see. That'd be great because then you can play it and I can mooch off of your exactly. research. We can learn together. I am still ba- like really behind the idea of just labeling everything with sticky notes around the apartment. Sure. Uh, yeah. I've learned that my brain thinks every language that isn't English is French. And whenever somebody speaks to me in Spanish, which is happening a lot more these days, mm. my brain g- goes to reply in French. And I'm like, that's not that's not the move. <laughs> so whenever I think of things like a cup, my brain doesn't go like, what's that in Spanish? My brain goes, oh, it's not English. It's tas. Mm. It's like, that's, that's French, bro. Yeah. Not helpful. So labels would be good. Yeah. Labels are always great. They're descriptive, definitive, as much as our society likes to fight them. Uh, <laughs> and what more I'm going to do better on is I'm going to fix my sleep schedule again because that got pretty messed up uh-huh. in the sad boy days. <laughs> um, like sleeping at 12, 1, it's crazy. So I'm, I want to bring it back to 11 because, yeah, summer is coming and I'll probably be staying up late. So 10, 11, have it at a respectable time and not 8.30 uh, that people shit on me all the time yeah it, well it's hard to go to sleep that early in the summer anyway because it's still sunny yeah so so yeah gotta gotta wait till it's dark and colder uh so you can fall asleep and i'm gonna start reading the linux handbook i i yeah i bought it so i can read it so i'm gonna start reading it and then report back on anything cool i find because I'm just looking forward to knowing all about that li- that kernel. Uh, <laughs> only thing I know about kernel so far is they pop into popcorns, and I don't think that's like applicable to Linux programming. No, that that's that's how the internet works. Ah. Yeah, that's how every server you've ever used. If you just heat it up, mm. it will pop. <laughs> okay. I do. They, is there is this an AWS service? 
Cloud pop? There could. Ooh. You should, <laughs> you should see if there is. Who knows? There's hundreds of services. That's true. There's way too many. Yeah. Maybe it'll be part of the new game. Mm. You pop some popcorns and you're like, oh, this is your EC2 instance now. Yeah. Yeah. Start with a kernel and now you've got a delicious treat. Mm. Kind of want to. All right. Not, not thinking about having popcorn for dinner here. Of course um, not. A healthy individual yes. of sorts. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. My Sunday night dinner was not a can of Pringles and a tub of ice cream. I, no, because yeah. that would be degenerate yeah. behavior. It's all hypothetical. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We've had a lot of hypotheticals today, uh, mm-hmm. along with our hypothetical listener base. So yeah. uh, thank you for making it this far, uh, theoretical hypothetical listener. Yeah, we theoretically love you. I literally do. Yeah, wow. Literally the best listeners we've had. Bye. Bye.